Welcome to the PIO Podcast, a place for all things public information related for police, fire, EMS, and local government. An open forum to learn, grow, and develop your public information skills. Your host, Robert Tornabeni, is a public information officer with over 10 years in the field and 27 years of law enforcement background. In each episode, we will explore different aspects of the public information officer profession. Weekly, we will delve into the field of public information by talking to other PIOs. So sit back and enjoy this episode. This is episode 40, and today on the PIO podcast, we have Ashley Morris. She is the emergency management planner for Baltimore County, Maryland. Welcome to the show, Ashley. Let's talk about your background in communications. What did you do before you started? Sure. So I'm actually doing emergency management. So I do disaster preparedness, response, recovery, and mitigation for a local level. So that looks like doing a lot of disaster planning, a lot of disaster scenarios and exercises with a lot of our first response agencies, public works, all the different government entities uh, within my county. It's also doing disaster outreach. And then uh, when we actually have incidents in severe weather, responding to that disaster and then rebuilding my community. So I've been doing emergency management for about four years now. I actually started out in Texas uh, doing it for a county, city, local level uh, government. And then I moved out here to the Mid-Atlantic where I was at Fairfax County and spent a little time doing a community engagement and outreach with them. And then now with Baltimore County. So a really big part of my job, even though I work a lot with county uh, entities uh, doing the planning and response and recovery is actually doing communication to the public. So doing disaster outreach, teaching weather safety and preparedness, um, doing alert and warning. So sending notifications out to the community when they need to evacuate shelter in place. And that's something that I was very passionate, especially at university, um, trying to figure out how we can actually give information to the public to get them to actually take that action. Because, you know, I can have a perfect weather forecast or have a perfect tornado warning uh, right over a location. But if I can't communicate that effectively to all of the residents that are living in that area, um, they're not going to be able to stay safe. And we're going to see negative impacts of that. So um, that's kind of how I got into communication. So what do you see, I'm going to go off the questions here real quickly. What do you see as the biggest issue in getting communications out to everybody? What do you see as like your biggest obstacle? So there are so many challenges with emergency management, public information. Um, Number one would be the fact that not a lot of people actually know what emergency management is. So emergency management is all in cities, counties. Of of course, we have FEMA at a federal level and then state level, but not a lot of people actually know about that function. So when we are trying to get information during disasters to the public, uh, people just don't know where to go to find it um, because they don't know us. Um, Number two is probably actually reaching... um, our uh, other communities. So um, in different languages, uh, we have a lot of diversity, especially up here in Maryland. Um, And then also too, uh, you know, people use different kinds of technologies. So how can I put out a message that uh, will actually reach everybody on their preferred platform? Maybe it's TV, cable, uh, Spotify, streaming, um, internet, social media, so many different modes. And it's really challenging too for emergency managers because we haven't actually seen a prominent PIO position come out and be assigned to local level jurisdictions uh, besides the big cities, of course, um, like we have for fire and police. And I think that that's something that would definitely be welcomed and appreciated because it is a full-time job trying to get the information out on all those platforms to all of these different people that we serve. So in the emergency management 
you're, you're saying that there's a limited number of people that are in the, except in the larger jurisdictions that are specifically PIOs? Absolutely. So I know like when I worked with uh, Fairfax County OEM, uh, we worked very closely with public affairs and we had an assigned PIO for the county. Um, but you're not lucky like that in all the other places. Uh, usually you have to work very closely with your fire PIO and they might represent you or with your county PIO. So you're sharing PIOs uh, with that messaging. Um, but really like as an emergency management centric PIO, that's, that doesn't really exist in a lot of places except those massive places. And I could really see a great place for that to grow um, because, like I said, we have so many different messaging challenges, especially during, like, crisis communications and disaster work. Right, right. You're a very big advocate for using social media for community outreach. And since this is National Preparedness Month, how are you conducting messaging to inform the community you serve? Yes. So I'm extremely passionate about social media. And it's actually pretty funny because when I was studying meteorology back at Texas Tech, um, hoping to go that route, I was very passionate about finding emergency management agencies and uh, meteorology agencies that were using social media to do that outreach because I always had a heart for that trying to teach the weather safety and things like that. So after following what a lot of agencies have been doing, like MEMA and the state of Alabama, uh, as soon as I got into emergency management, my first meeting that I requested was to meet with the county PIO who was in charge of the social media and beg for permission to be able to post and do outreach. So for National Preparedness Month, that's one of our biggest months of the year where we're trying to get information out. We always utilize social media through videos, graphics. Um, I'm hoping this year, if I can get enough time with everything else going on to do some Facebook Lives, some interviews, some tours, um, just trying to be really active and engaging. Um, I think too, over the past year with COVID, we've had to learn how to do a lot of outreach virtually. So it's definitely a little more natural to do a lot more of that on social media, but we have been doing a lot of that, um, or I have for my career the entire time I've been in EM, because I think it's so important to reach people where they are. So you kind of alluded to it, and we're, this next question kind of talks about it. So being able to message during, to the community that you serve during a pandemic, how has that really impacted you getting the word out to them? Yeah, so it really changed the game, especially for outreach. And so I was actually in an outreach position when the pandemic started. And so all of our programming shut down. We couldn't go out and do fairs. We couldn't do the, the handshakings that you do at the community. We couldn't get the information out one-on-one. -on -one. So we really had to heavily rely on social media, on streams. Uh, we did a lot of Zoom meetings and Zoom community engagement presentations. And we would use um, like Eventbrite and stuff like that to actually get people to sign up. Uh, and then we would do the same disaster preparedness information uh, via that mode. Um, really, too, I will say uh, the biggest challenge and something that I would really promote to do is to try to find those networks and get your information out via social or via email, but have those people pass it on through their networks. Um, obviously, as an emergency manager, it's very hard for me to have everybody connected to my digital network and have everybody see my outreach meetings or my other um, public information. But it works a lot more effectively if I can have people actually share my information with their friends and family or their network. So it's kind of a spider web starting with me spreading out to the community. So you're relying on those smaller networks of employees, friends, family members and social groups to, to push your information forward. 
Absolutely, because I've realized that no matter how many different efforts and how many different platforms we use as a government, we are never going to reach every single resident. And I'm very concerned, especially for my vulnerable populations, my people that don't know emergency management exists or they don't know how to access government resources. I feel like the best way to reach them is through community networks. Maybe it's nonprofit networks, um, different food banks, um, getting my information through these community groups that we actually build before the disaster and then trying to spread it through that way because, you know, we're limited with how much uh, we can put out and, and the different technologies that we can use. Ashley, have you come Have you come across now, they talk about this all the time right now, is the, the misinformation that's going out there. Have you had to deal with some of that in your role? Absolutely. We had to deal with a lot of that with the pandemic. So uh, we really tried to do a lot of those different threads, like on Twitter, where we're explaining rumor control, um, trying to have clarifications there, trying to, um, you know, assertively uh, make sure that we're kind of the lead agency and we're clarifying a lot of those confusions. And I will say, too, one of the most important things about social media is actually checking up on the comments and checking up on what people are saying. And every day I would kind of go through our posts and see, you know, what are my residents saying? What are they sharing? Uh, what are they confused about? What are the misconceptions? And when I worked at Fairfax, we had a JIC, a Joint Information Center, running for that purpose. And every day in the EOC, they would actually meet, assess what was going on, and then use the public perception to drive their messaging for that next day. And I thought that that was so important because it always kept you on track with perceptions and rumor control and misinformation. Great way of uh, putting that into context, because I think right now, I think some some organizations struggle with getting out and controlling misinformation. I think they're, maybe they're afraid of the conflict that might come out by putting that information out that way, but I think that's a good way of doing it. Absolutely. And I think uh, when I first started doing social media and, you know, you start to get some of those negative comments or some of those misinformation bits and they're a little testy um, you can see some emotions in them and things like that. You don't feel very comfortable to really respond. You want to just ignore it or you just want to pretend like it's not there. But it really is important for you to respond, uh, whether or not that's professional or however your agency policy says that you need to respond. But your response actually sets the tone for the rest of the community because a lot of your other residents and people are reading those comments, too. So when you respond, you might be actually fixing a misconception of somebody else. Great point. You are a massive weather junkie, and you kind of alluded at it that you started out in meteorology early on in your college career. What influenced you to get into emergency management? Yes, yeah, so I have been passionate about weather and forecasting since I was seven years old. I got caught in a thunderstorm outside um, with my father one day and actually um, learned how to kind of count the seconds to figure out the miles and then got very passionate about figuring out when it was going to storm and things like that. So I actually was preparing to go into meteorology and be a National Weather Service forecaster. And I went to Texas Tech University, studied uh, atmospheric science and geophysics, and then got up into grad school in atmospheric science. And we had a few weather incidents happen in the country. Uh, we had the Joplin tornado in 2011, and then we had the big tornado outbreak that happened in Alabama in 2011. And one of the biggest stories of that event was the fact that we had uh, tornado warnings out to the public for over an hour, and we still had hundreds of people die in those storms. 
And I think then I realized that, you know, even if our science is 100% and we can forecast that storm perfectly, it doesn't matter because if we can't get the information out to the public, if our alert systems are not effective, and then two, if we can't, you know, provide sheltering and have good evacuation plans and do all those things emergency management people do, um, it's kind of pointless, right? So that's when I kind of decided to shift gears and bring my weather background into emergency management. And then two, some of that crisis communications with, you know, how can I communicate this tornado to people? How can I get people to take it seriously? That really came into play with why I'm so active and engaged in crisis communications and uh, PIO work. Excellent. You know, it's always uh, interesting to hear how people chose a, a career and, and you were influenced by by something early on. And that's awesome that you were able to turn that into uh, a passion for this career. So kudos to you. Nicely done. You, you're an advocate for technology by emergency managers. Elaborate on, on what technology you're using to message the community, where, where you see it needs to go in the future. Let's take a quick break. When it comes to influencer marketing, there's a podcast that covers it all that you will want to add to your playlist. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. They talk about influencer marketing, social media, the creator economy, social commerce, and much, much more. They cover all aspects, including the creator economy, social commerce, the latest trends, the metaverse, TikTok trends, and that's just the beginning. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. Add the podcast to your playlist right now. Yeah, so I'm very big about data-driven approach in emergency management and then also technology, like you said. So for data-driven, I would like to see more uh, GIS stuff, more studies, um, statistics, like actually looking at what residents we serve, how they're reacting, what their needs are, and then making decisions based on that data, as opposed to kind of just going off your gut or going off of past experiences. So GIS is a big tool that I would always lean on and say that we need to use more. Um, Another would be alert systems. So I'm very passionate about kind of teaching different emergency managers about the different systems because it can be really confusing of what alert systems we're actually using, um, you know, what ones are actually reaching the public effectively, uh, different things like that. So in terms of moving forward with alert systems, I'm really hoping we can continue to improve our iPaws system. Um, That's our uh, integrated public alert warning system by FEMA and the FCC. Um, Over the past few years, they've done a really great job of enhancing the ability to reach people, uh, minimizing bleed over off the cell towers and things like that. And I think that's great. Uh, We still have challenges with that, though. Um, But I will say my number one advocate in terms of technology is having alert and warning systems that do not force people to sign up because it is such a challenge to, number one, reach everybody in my community and tell them about my alert system and get them to actually take that action. And then two, have them maintain their cell phone, their address and all of that, um, you know, year in, year out. So I pause the fact that it pings off the tower. And as long as you have the setting on in your phone is so much more effective. And it's actually saved a lot more lives during previous disasters over the past decade. You know, I think uh, it, it, with the way that technologies come with cell phones, uh, several years ago, we were in a, um, a rapid deployment training course. We were all working, you know, doing our thing. And next thing you know, everybody's phone went off. It was the first time I think that they had uh, the new technology and the phones had finally kicked into place. And I don't think anybody had heard it go off before. And everybody was 
looking at their phones when it went off simultaneously. And we did have a severe thunderstorm warning with a with a uh, th- uh, a um, tornado uh, watch come out. I mean, so just new technology. It's great that it that it activates automatically if it's if it's active on your phone if it's been turned on. What do you think the biggest issue is when it comes to like say the older population that maybe doesn't go to those kind of phones or those devices? What what could we as communications people do to either push them to go to new technology for their use or it, use alternate methods to communicate with them? Yeah, so even when I communicate to the public, because we teach people to have different methods of technology to get information, um, and emergency managers, when we're teaching using warning systems, we're supposed to be using multiple methods. Number one, that's because technology could fail, so I don't want to just count on iPods. I want to have multiple methods. So I would say the biggest challenge or the biggest goal would be to continue to use the mes- all the different methods that we have. So for our elderly population, if they're still watching cable news or getting their information how they used to, I think that we need to continue to try to serve that in that way. Um, it's very hard to force people to adapt to things, which I think is something in disaster preparedness we've really tried to do and failed. Um, I think it's better for us to kind of understand how people work and how they're going to work during disaster and then kind of pre-plan and provide in that sense. So I would say learn your community, um, learn how they're trying to get the information, and then put the information out on all the different modes, whether or not they're new technology or old technology. And I will say, too, like one of my biggest concerns is reaching my homeless population. Um, they might not have any access to any technology. So I think even going, you know, door to door, face to face, having communication somehow, and that's where the networks help. Um, Also having bulletin boards or maybe establishing um, information centers where you can post things um, in common areas where where they are will be able to help them get that information. But, you know, just being diverse about message delivery is really important. Great points. Great points. I appreciate you being so passionate about the technology use i think that's really important i think we we as communicators need to to be uniform about it and unfortunately in the law enforcement end of it it's everybody wants their own platform and and it hasn't quite reached that in certain areas of course obviously those areas that are prone to disasters the hurricane uh the tornado areas where heavy tornadoes hit all the time they tend to be a little bit more uniform but they're still it, like in the Midwest, in the in the northern part of the Midwest, it's very limited. iPods is is working, but I think a lot of agencies still push their um, what's that the the Rave Alert system is one that you put they push out, and again that's one you have to register for to be part of it, and it's not necessarily best suited because when you move out of that area, you're no longer part of that system, and then you're looking for what's new and you don't know. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, definitely having different systems and then really trying to enhance your signup systems, too, because that's something that I do have a signup system. uh, But when I do send alerts on it, I do keep in mind that, you know, not everybody is going to be on that signup system. So I've got to use different modes. And we've seen that mistake, you know, with the wildfires out in California or other places where you just really need to understand what your capacity is and what your delivery rate is when you're making a decision on doing those things. Absolutely. So let's talk about agencies across the country that are struggling to hire personnel. What are you guys doing to deal with the hiring crunch that's going on right now? 
Well, I will say since I've worked local city level uh, pretty much my entire career, um, I think three out of four of the agencies I've worked for have been severely understaffed. Some of that has to do more with uh, just emergency management working to kind of define what emergency manager is, um, how many people we need. So I will say that, I mean, we don't have any openings, but definitely we definitely need more people <laughs> to help our office. Um, I know for our fire department, we're working on recruiting and uh, we're using social media to do recruitment um, and do stuff like that. And the same would go if we did have openings. So we would rely very heavily on social media. Uh, we would reach out to our state associations and our professional organizations and pump information out for that. Um, but I do think in terms of defining emergency management and showing the need for the agency, uh, we really have to work with our stakeholders. Uh, we need to work with all of our elected officials on all levels of government um, to define, you know, why emergency management is important, uh, what's the staffing levels that we need, um, and move forward with that. What do you think is the biggest obstacle in, in getting that out there? And I know, again, everybody's fighting for dollars. Well, why is emergency management always looked at as we got to have it, but we don't want to pay for it? I think that's because it has really kind of grown from first response. And so it has always kind of seemed as an extension of that. And so a lot of different organizations and jurisdictions will fill those spots with either people coming out of first response, people retiring, it's kind of one of those crossover things where they kind of feel like it's it's kind of more of an extension rather than its own professional thing. Like a professional emergency manager comes from school to do emergency management. And I think we're going to see a bigger change with that. Uh, obviously, more colleges are actually creating emergency management degrees. Uh, I think that with the, the pandemic and with all the disasters that we're having, uh, we're actually realizing that we do really need more full-time only emergency managers as opposed to maybe, you know, fire chiefs doing it or police chiefs doing two jobs and all of that. Um, but I really think it's that, uh, you know, we never had an opportunity to really define emergency management. It just kind of grew out of first response. That's a, a great way of pointing it out. I, I you know, it is, it's always been an afterthought and a secondary position for a lot of, for a lot of areas. So great points. All right. So let's, uh, let's go into some rapid fire questions here. Your favorite drink or cocktail that you like? So I'm totally a wine fan. And so I love going out to wineries, doing tastings and all of that. Any kind of wine, um, definitely my favorite. Favorite sport to watch? Uh, that would be split because I'm a huge college football fan and NFL fan. So football would be one. Really enjoy the NBA as well. And then also hockey. Oh, what's your favorite team? So college football is Texas Tech. Guns up because I'm an alumni, right? Um, NFL is actually Cincinnati Bengals, which is really embarrassing. Um, <laughs> hockey, I actually like the San Jose Sharks, but I did adopt the, uh, the Capitals here. Um, because they're local. And then NBA, Phoenix Suns, and they lost the championship this year, so very disappointing. Wow, you have an amazingly, you know, diverse group. I was thinking you were going to have either East Coast or strictly, you know, Texas area. You're you're all over the place. That's awesome. Yeah, I grew up in New Mexico, so we didn't have any sports teams, so it gave me freedom to pick and choose based on color, mascot, whatever I felt like. Awesome. Favorite food? Uh, macaroni and cheese, of course, 
or, you know, the occasional grilled cheese or Alfredo, anything like pasta-y and cheesy is pretty much my favorite. <laughs> You're, you remind me of my daughter. Anything with cheese, she's happy. What is what is your biggest pet peeve? Um, I think it would probably be saying you're going to do something and then not. Um, I'm very intentional and uh, I kind of go into things with that. So when I tell people I'm going to get something done, that's kind of my goal. Um, so definitely that. Do you have a book you'd like to recommend to the audience and why? I have two books and they are really great. So the first one is actually called Crisis Communications, The Definite Guide uh, to managing the message. And this is by Stephen Fink. So this is a textbook that actually some uh, crisis communications classes assign for this specific thing with PIOs. So it's a really great read, um, definitely a favorite. And then my other one is gonna be What Stands in a Storm by Kim Cross. And the reason that I want to recommend this is this is actually about the 2011 tornado out outbreak in Alabama. And I think that as PIOs and as messengers, it's so important to read stories of people and their thought processes before, during, and after the storm, because it helps you understand how they're thinking and how they're taking action. So reading this book actually let me understand how people assess tornadoes, you know, what they thought when somebody said one was coming. So that way, when I have a tornado in my jurisdiction, I can try to word things, hopefully, to get them to take the action. So it's a really great book. Excellent. Ashley, I'll put those down in the show notes so that I can uh, uh, add those in. And uh, I'll actually have to look at those because I do not think I've seen either one of those yet. So awesome. Thank you. I would say final thoughts, anything you'd like to add? Uh, just thank you so much for having me on. Um, really big advocate. Like I said, I just don't think we could use or overuse social media or use it too much. Um, I think that that's kind of the direction we're going. As you can see with the misinformation challenges and everything else, if you're not on social media at this point as a government agency, you really need to get on social media because if you're not speaking, someone else is, and they're either making assumptions about what's going on or spreading rumors or not getting the story right. So um, once again, thank you. Um, and just uh, very happy that I got this opportunity to talk to you about this. I thank you very much. And I appreciate you coming on the show. What is your favorite social media platform to use for yourself? For myself is definitely Twitter. So I'm definitely uh, Twitter addicted. Um, you can find me at, at Miss Ashes 92. Um, I also have a LinkedIn, just Ashley Morris. You can find me there, um, but that's pretty much it. And that was going to go to my next question. How could people best reach out to you and connect if they'd like to learn more or, or possibly connect with you? So thank you very much. That is it. And I will say Twitter, I am way more uh, responsive on. So I'm on it like all the time. Uh, LinkedIn, I try to get on, but it's more like a weekly thing. So definitely Twitter. I completely understand it. My favorite uh, Twitter is my, I like the speed of it. I like how, how it moves. So it's definitely my, my uh, go-to social media platform as well. And that is Ashley Morris. The, she is the Emergency Management Planner for Baltimore County in Baltimore, Maryland. Ashley, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you so much. enjoyed this episode. 
If you would like to contact the show, please email us at the PIO podcast at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to get notified of the latest episode. If you are listening on a platform that allows reviews, please give us a review. We appreciate any review, good or bad. It helps us improve on each episode. Until next time, be safe. Be safe.